if you didn't have a full-time job, how many homes do you think you would sell a year? If all of a sudden you got all those hours back? I honestly think the same number of homes because I haven't had to turn any families away and I haven't had to turn down any business because of teaching. This is the Platform Marketing Show, where we interview the most creative and ambitious real estate agents in the country, dissect their local marketing strategy, and get the behind the scenes scoop on how they're generating listing leads and warm referrals. We'll dive into the specifics of what marketing campaigns are working for them, how much they're spending on those campaigns, and figure out how they have perfected what we call the platform marketing strategy. This is your host, Tim Shermack. I'm the founder and CEO of Platform. I love marketing and I talk too much. So let's dive in. Hey guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Platform Marketing Show. I'm joined today by Leah Arndt. Leah, how are you doing? I'm fantastic. How are you? Uh, I am doing really, really well. I'm actually really looking forward to this conversation. I know that we've been like, you know, texting back and forth for actually a couple months now saying, I've got to get you on the podcast. I've got to get you on the podcast. And today is the day. So I've really been looking forward to this interview because this sounds so crazy that it's like too good to be true. But Leah has a full-time job as a teacher, like a full-time job. She's not like, you know, a part-time para or she's not the school janitor that works, you know, a 10 hours a week or something. It, she's a full-time teacher actually in the San Antonio area. Like, and again, I'm not saying former teacher. I'm saying she's currently a full-time teacher and still as a real estate agent sells over 40 homes a year. So, uh, Whatever, you know, uh, preconceived notions you have or excuses you have about not having enough time or not having enough energy to build your business, I think this episode is really going to shatter a lot of those excuses for people listening because, like I said, she sold 40 homes, actually more than 40 homes last year, even while still having a full-time job as a teacher. So what we're going to do in this interview is dive into the specifics and the mechanics of how she's done that, how she's built her business. Uh, Leah has been an agent now for, I believe, six years, right? And uh, we'll dive into the marketing that she's been using, some of her long-term goals uh, and vision for her business. But really, we're just going to dive into how in the heck do you sell 40 plus homes a year while having a full-time job. So Leah, you are um, a full-time, a special needs teacher in the uh, a San Antonio area. What what prompted you? My first question is like, what prompted you to decide to get into real estate in the first place? My co-teacher uh, had been in real estate for six years and was doing it part-time, uh, just enough to get money for his family to go on vacations. And he since the moment we met, he said, you have the personality, you definitely have the people skills, you would be phenomenal helping families. And I just looked at him and said, it took me forever to get my bachelor's degree. I don't want to go back to school. I, I enjoy teaching. I enjoy the time I have with my family. So three years of him bugging me, um, I finally looked up what was needed to become a realtor and then realized it's not years and years of school. I can do this and I can do it on my time and not take, you know, a lot of time away from my family. And so that's how I got the jump. 
So you just saw someone else who was doing it kind of part-time, selling a couple homes a year, and you figured, hey, I can do that. Now, obviously, there is a huge difference between, you know, a full-time teacher who, you know, let's be honest, teachers have a lot more free time in the summers than most people do because, you know, like I know you still have some stuff you do in the summers, but you have a lot of free time in the summers, you know, compared to the average person. But there's a huge, huge difference, right, between maybe selling two or three homes a year part-time and knowing that, hey, my real job is teaching, but I'm going to sell a couple homes a year to maybe, you know, pad our savings or take a vacation every year, or whatever, right? There's a, there's, a, there's a huge difference between doing that and selling 40 homes a year on top of being a full-time teacher. So you got into this six years ago. What has the career growth looked like? Like how many homes did you sell your first year? Where did those transactions come, you know, come from? I'm guessing it was like people who already knew you from your sphere of teaching like how did how have you built your business over the last six years uh just definitely sphere of influence and then referrals from those spheres um i did try other companies that promised leads um i partnered with my business partner lavinia johnson and we kind of you know put our brains together to see what could we do to maximize ourselves um so pretty much if it's out there um i tried it and a year ago, that's when um, I saw Heather Muth's uh, Facebook ad and just reached out to her and wanted more information. And so that's how I fell into platform. And Heather, Heather is about 45 minutes west of San Antonio. Um, she's like a platform all-time great, you know, case study where she's also, you know, actually a teacher, I should say a former teacher, um, who made a transition, obviously, from teaching into um, into real estate, and you know, maybe maybe inspired you to check out Platform. So, what what was it about seeing Heather or her story that inspired you to to reach out to Platform? Because you said you had tried other things, whether it's Zillow or Boomtown. I'm not sure what other marketing programs you had tried. What was it about Platform that made you think, like, hmm, maybe this is different? It was. 180% it was it was genuine she wasn't trying to sell to us directly she was letting us explore her background she was giving us content about the area it wasn't just solely focused on that house and I'd never met her but I, I instantly felt a connection to her you know that she would be someone that I think I could have fun with and you know go to dinner with Sure. It's like, you know, if, if that's the type of marketing she's doing, if, if I'm ever going to do, you know, a paid marketing strategy in my business, it's going to look something like that. That was kind of your thoughts, just seeing her actual ads yes, in her community. Because the biggest thing when you meet somebody for the first time is gaining their trust and having them believe in what you're trying to tell them, you know, especially about one of their biggest investments. And I instantly felt that with her. And of course I wasn't in the market to buy a house. <laughs> yeah. You were just kind of spying on, spying on her marketing yes. campaigns and thinking like, how do I do this for myself? And I'm, I'm assuming at some point you obviously reached out to platform, you signed up and now you've been in the uh, platform family for about the last year. Um, what have you noticed has changed in your business in the last year since starting platform? Definitely the engagement with my sphere. They are seeing a side of me that 
they hadn't seen before. Um, before it was just here are the pictures, here are the facts about the house, and that was it. There was no engagement about how fun the community was that this house was in or um, any events that happened specifically in this community. And that's been the real difference that I'll get engagement from much more than I got the engagement from people just liking, you know, pictures of the houses that I was selling. Right. Like you'll have, you know, random photos of listings, but people weren't necessarily engaging with you, you with me or telling se. me like, like yesterday I put one up and I have over 120 comments just telling me, okay, next year, you know, so I, I actually got four leads yesterday just from that one post and it had nothing to do with me selling a current house right now. It's what my buyers needed. So it's what other people needed and they connected with that. So how in the heck do you have time to sell 40 plus homes a year while still having a full-time job? Because again, I understand that like, obviously you have a ton of free time in the summer, but it that's not even fully accurate because you just have the same amount of free time that a normal agent has in the summer, right? Right. But right. the other... The other nine months out of the year, they have you more have, wiggle room too. Yes. I mean, that would be one way of saying it. They have more wiggle room. They don't have a forty-hour-a-week job. I mean, so like, how do you like? What is a what does an average day look like in let's say September? Like once school has started, because lots of people are still buying and selling homes in a month like September, you know, um, and you have you know a job, so do you just sell like a hundred percent of your homes in June, July, August? No. Or how does that work? Like walk, walk me through a typical day in September when you're actually back at school, still in that full-time job. Oh, uh, my alarm. Like you wake up at what time? Yeah. Let's just yeah. start when you wake up. Exactly. My alarm goes off at five twenty-four. Uh, I was born on the 24th. So I always have my alarm set on the 24th and until about six o'clock in the morning. So for a little over 30 minutes, I check all of my emails. And that was just um, a strategy that was given to me by my very first principal. And that way I kind of know what fires need to be put out, what people I need to reach back out to, what happened overnight, um, the good, the bad. So that way I can start at an appropriate time messaging my families and letting them know, you know, hey, we've got whatever in for your house, and they kind of get updated that way. Um, get myself ready. I'm very fortunate that I have an amazing spouse. So my wife um, helps me get the kids ready. Helps, and the kids are now at an age where they're semi-functional humans. They're both 13. So they get themselves ready, brush their teeth. They're now getting their own breakfast, getting their backpacks ready. Um, they're so. a, they're a, they're a semi-functional. Like I like how you put that. They're 13. So they're semi-functional uh, emphasis on semi. Yeah. Correct. Correct. <laughs> um, and so I don't have to, you know, they're not babies anymore. I don't have to get them ready and get them going. Um, and then from when I do get out of bed, it should be six, but maybe on six fifteen to about six forty, getting myself ready. Um, and we are out the door. Um, our kids don't go to school near where our house is because they're in the dual language program. They go to school in English and Spanish. And so I drive oh, cool. them to their middle school. And then um, my brokerage has an amazing um, broker that 
has what they call the breakfast club. So from 7.30 to 8.30, I listen to his Zoom in my car on the way to school. And so it's just good information, positive affirmations. Um, he has guest speakers. So it's just what are other agents doing that could help benefit me? And then um, I So basically this. every like every day every for almost an hour. Cool. Yes, and then Yeah, school, I mean, you're... I'm you're, there. you're, you're, you're a getting in though, like a full hour of kind of personal development training, kind of just starting your day with that, that positive, you know, motivational business content every day, almost for an hour on your way into school. Yes. And okay. then from, um, the time I get to school to the time that school starts, it's returning any phone calls since now it's around eight o'clock and getting anything, you know, text messages that I need out. And then the way my schedule is set up is I teach, I have my conference, I teach, I have lunch, I teach, and then it's time to go home. So I have little breaks throughout the day where I can return text messages, return emails, you know, during lunch and conference. And then at 4.05, the bell rings, and then um, it's time to hit the ground running. And that's when like the real work starts, right? <laughs> yes. So, um, Usually on the weekends, I'm scheduling out families, you know, who wants to go see homes, um, then getting with my wife and coordinating the kids activities so that I can coordinate, you know, those kids activities. Um, we have now, a, how often, um, how often on like a random weeknight, say a Monday or Tuesday night, are you on showings or working in your real estate business after 4 p.m.? Or is that all happening on weekends? What does that look like? Right now, especially in the spring, um, I would say it's at least six days a week. Okay. Okay. So it's, it's not as if, Hey, your school day ends at four and now you're just spending time with your wife and kids for the rest of the day. Like you are, you are still working and there's probably several hours of work. I imagine every day, um, in the, in the evening. And it's fitting and then, everybody in. So my kids come first. And so Mondays and Tuesdays, I really block for family time because at the end of the week, our kids go to see their dads. So when we don't have our kids, that's when I definitely hit the ground running at four, but our kids okay. just started playing golf. So every Monday, the past couple of weeks, we started going to a little par three golf um, course. Oh, cool. Playing with them. And then after that, if I have anyone that wants to see a house usually around 6 30 to now 8 30 since of daylight savings time um i still have two hours to show homes okay so you're just really efficient and intentional with your time i mean the right word's probably intentional like you don't let even one hour just randomly go to waste doing nothing you know everything better be creating value in the sense that it's not economic value but every hour better be spent with your family having family time or building your business. You don't just spend hours watching Netflix every day, right? No, and think, I mean, Netflix is on my phone. So yes, when there are those five, 10 minute breaks, that is my, my, my go-to to work. Yeah. To and I think your, your, your structure really illustrates um, this, this truth of how much free time most people actually have that they take for granted because like, I mean, the average person, even like a normal realtor, let's say, you know, let's say that they, they work 
I mean, especially during spring and summer, a lot of agents are working eight to 10 hours a day, right? They're certainly not working five or six hours a day (laughs) because, you know, often 80% of what you sell happens in the spring and summer. And then the remaining 20% maybe trickles in over the winter, right? Yes. So during that spring, summer season, most real estate agents are absolutely probably working eight to 10 hours a day. But that still means that if you work a 10 hour day and let's say you start your work day at 8 a.m., a 10-hour day means that you work until 6 p.m., right? So that still means there's probably four hours or five hours, like depending on what time you go to sleep, of time when you stop working between like those are hours you have to fill with what you want, right? So real, I mean, frankly, even if you work a 12-hour day, that's, you know, from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m., obviously, there's still several hours at the end of the day for you to you know, do other things that you either need or want to do. And so what I'm hearing is that you're just making use of every minute of your day because it's not like you're just a crazy, crazy workaholic. And that's what a lot of people might might think immediately upon hearing she has a full-time job as a teacher and she sells 40 houses a year because maybe someone's listening to this and they're struggling to sell 20 houses a year and they don't have a full-time job. And they're like, well, that's impossible. How does she do it? I bet her, you know, kids hate her and her marriage is horrible or something like she probably is a workaholic doing that. It's like, no, like you actually schedule time every week to go golfing with your family and go to their. I know uh, we we were just talking that uh, yesterday we actually originally were going to record this podcast potentially on a Saturday morning. And then you're like, well, I have a volleyball tournament I'm at. So maybe I could, you know, like get away during lunch. And I was like, no, 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 no go to your daughter's volleyball game. Like, I don't want you to be like missing that. Let's record it on a day when you have a free hour or two, you know? So even on a Saturday in the spring, when a lot of agents are absolutely out showing houses or they're sitting open houses or they're working, obviously in the real estate job, like you're still carving out time to, I'm going to go to my daughter's volleyball tournament. So to be very, very clear, you're not in any sense of the term, a workaholic. Like you have a very healthy work-life balance. You're just not wasting hours a day, you know, watching Netflix for three hours a day, right? Like you're just making sure that the time that you are working is actually spent working. So uh, on on weekends, how many how many hours a weekend are you typically working? Like is the average Saturday and Sunday? I mean, are you going on multiple showings or what does a typical weekend look like in, in the summer? Yes, yeah, so... Um, we have our kids every other weekend. They're with their dads opposite weekends. So when I have my kids, I have uh, showing assistants that'll go show my families. And thankfully, my families are very respectful of my time. Or because my kids are teenagers, they really don't wake up until noon, one o'clock. And so I'll get all my showings done from 9 a.m. until noon. And then that's that awesome. way, the afternoon time, the kids didn't even know I was gone. Um, my wife's working on her PhD, so then there's quiet time for her. Oh, wow. Okay. And um, Wow, you are just like a kick-ass family. Wife's working on a PhD. Your kids are in ex- multiple extracurriculars and sports. You've got a full-time job and a real estate career. Like, holy smokes. Uh, wh- what's her PhD in? Social work. Okay. She's okay. a so- social worker for our uh, local school district here in San Antonio. Wow. So both of you are just super busy then. So, okay. You mentioned you have showing assistants. Um, would you mind sharing, like, what do you pay those showing assistants? I'm assuming it's hourly. Um, yes. No, what it's is... per house. 
Okay, so so what does that look like then? Um, to, I have showing assistants that I've worked really, really well with, and I'll show and I'll uh, pay them fifty dollars a house. Okay, and, and that's if it's inside the San Antonio city limits. Um, I just put a house under contract that was probably. 30 minutes outside San Antonio. And so I paid a little bit more for that just because of like, you know, gas and time coming back into the city. Um, and so and you pay, you pay a $50 per showing. Did they probably have like two hours into every showing? Was that reasonable or how many hours do you think they spend per showing? About 30 minutes or an hour, like going to the house, driving to the house and maybe driving home. So, right. So it's probably a, an idea. It's probably like $25 an hour if you were to think about it hourly, if you're paying them to drive out there and all that, you know, something oh, yeah, like that. Probably. I um Okay. We went to Disney for the first time, or for me for the first time over spring break. And awesome. I spent a little under $700 in showing assistant fees, but I put two families under contract. So, yes, that was an unexpected added, you know, budget um detour but two of my families were able to get under contract now what uh what were the uh, price points of those homes 475 and 210 wow so you're basically looking at like 500k of or excuse me $700,000 almost uh of volume right there and i mean the gross commission on 700k of volume like i mean obviously depending on what your splits are and everything but you know you're probably looking at you know 15 to 20 thousand dollars in in commission there and you paid 700 dollars to have those showings happen you know i i i really believe and i think i've mentioned this before on other platform podcast episodes but if i were to become a realtor myself and if I were to like shut down platform tomorrow, because if I were to say, oh, this is too hard doing all this marketing for all these agents, I don't want all this stress. I'm just going to do it for myself. Right. And I'm going to shut this whole thing down and just do it myself. There is not a doubt in my mind. One hundred percent. That's the business model I would use. I would have showing assistance. I would spend my time and money on marketing, lead gen branding. I would do my own follow up. Because I think the the person who's always going to do the best job of converting leads is you. Yeah, like I know so many people spend money on ISAs or assistants doing their follow-up. And, you know, to each his own. Like if that's what you want to do, rock on. But I believe that you should be the one doing your follow-up. Because like the way that an assistant um, is doing your follow-up, whether you have an assistant here in the U.S. or you hire some VA from overseas in India or something like that to, to do your follow-up and you're paying them $5 an hour or whatever. I know some people who do that. Like, you are just going to do a better job doing follow-up than other people. And yet I see a lot of agents do the opposite where they, they hire out the follow-up to free up their time to go on more showings because they have this rationalization that it's like, well, I want to spend more time um, with clients and get more FaceTime with clients. Cause when I'm with clients, that's when I connect. And that's when I feel like I'm making the biggest impact or creating the most value. And I would just really push back on that because how much value are you adding when you're just driving somewhere out, you know, on a showing and opening a door for someone and you're saying like, Oh, here's the kitchen. Here's the living room. It's like, you don't know anything more about that house than they do. <laughs> right. They're, they're well aware what a kitchen is. They're well aware what 
you know, a bathroom is. Like you don't need to point out a lot of those uh, features. So that to me, honestly, is one of the is one of the lowest value things that agents do is the act of driving around and going on showings. Because also, let's be honest, 75% of the time is spent driving in a car. You're not even with the client, right? You're driving there. So it makes a lot more sense to me to do exactly what you're doing, Leah. And that's hire out showing, you know, hire out the actual showing of homes. If you have buyer leads, you know, to showing assistants, pay them 25 bucks an hour. I don't, I mean, I would frankly pay $50 an hour if that's what it took, because like you said, when they go under contract and you look at what the commission looks like, the real money is made in the strategy and the representation and the crafting of offers and helping them realize that you're the expert negotiator. You know, you're the consultant that's going to give your advice and expertise on, you know, what neighborhoods they might want to be in, like what we should go in at with our offer, any other negotiating strategies, right? The actual driving to a house and opening, you know, opening the door and knowing how to work a lockbox does not require a PhD, right? Like that can absolutely be outsourced. And every hour that you can spend more time doing follow-up, I think is a huge win. So I completely agree with the way that you've structured your business. And I'm, it's a 50-50 because I want to be there as much as I can for my clients. So the only time that I do source it out is when I physically can't be there because sure. I'm you know, not sure. in the city and, or when I've double booked, I've got multiple families and it's, I right. can't, um, or they want to see a house again during the school day because they're off on that random day during the week and I'm not. And off. you just can't. Right. Right. And so with, with how you've structured your business, this kind of comes back to how platform has been helping is that a lot of agents probably think they could never do what you're doing, which is, Oh, you want to go see this home on whatever Tuesday at 11 AM or Tuesday at noon over your lunch break, let's say. And you say, you know, cause it's, I don't know, let's, let's say it's late September and you get a hot, you know, a hot buyer lead. That's like, I'm already pre-approved. I want to go look at this $400,000 house. And I, I'd like, I'd like to go over my lunch break. It's at noon on, yeah, like I said, Tuesday. Can you go show me this home on Tuesday? And you're just like, crap, I have this job. I can't go show them on Tuesday. Right. Most agents would be depressed because they'd be thinking like, I'm going to lose this buyer to some other agent. Cause this person probably just wants an agent who will go open that door for them, right? They're just looking for the first person who's available. What, what platform changes in that equation is if they've been seeing your retargeting ads and seeing your videos and photos and kind of getting to know you as a person, right? Like not just as a real estate agent, but they feel like they're getting to know you personally. That's the difference between them reaching out to you and then you saying, I'm so sorry, I can't show you that home on that date at that time. But if you can wait until, you know, Tuesday evening, or if you can wait until Wednesday evening, I'd be happy to show it to you, right? They'll probably say, oh, okay, yes, let's, let's go Wednesday evening. That works for me. They're actually willing to wait for you because they want to specifically work with you, not just some random agent, right? And that's the difference between platform leads and uh, a, a, a Zillow lead, where a Zillow lead just literally wants the first agent who can go show them a the house. Ask. They do not care. And then yeah. I think because I'm still new and I don't want to lose them, what I'll do is I'll let them know, unfortunately, I'm going to be with a client at that time. I have a team member that can show you a home at that time. I find out where that home is. 
then I find similar like homes in that area and let them know I'm free at 4.30 to show you these homes so that way you can compare. So that way they get what they want and then I get to see them that same day and then meet them in person and then kind of build that relationship that they see that I'm just not waiting for them to tell me what homes they want to see. Yeah, like you're not completely outsourcing the act of working with your buyers or going on showings, but when there's, you know, when there's a scheduling conflict, <laughs> i.e. you have a full-time job, right? When there's a when there's a scheduling conflict, you're like, "Oh, okay, well here's what we can do temporarily." But I think this is really important. You're still adding value to the buyer process by identifying other homes that they might like in that area. You're not just being an order taker because there are so many agents out there that are just order takers. They're like the real estate equivalent of a McDonald's cashier where they're just sitting back waiting for people to email them saying, oh, I'd, 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 I'd like to look at this home the same way that someone walks up to the counter at McDonald's and orders something, you know. It's like, well, software could do that job, right? If that's all you do as an agent, you just wait for people to call you and say, hey, I'd like to look at this house. It's it's kind of a pejorative in the industry when people say you're just a door opener, right? It's It's obviously an insult, but there are some agents that honestly are just door openers. They don't really add value. So the fact that you like see that a buyer wants to look at a house in such and such neighborhood, right? And you're like, oh, okay, cool. Well, here's some other similar ones. Or I, I know an agent who has a listing coming up in that area. It's not yet on the MLS so that you don't even know this house exists, right? You're adding value and you're making sure that even if you, you know, even if you can't physically be with them at whatever, like I'm building that importance of, yeah, our relationship. Yeah. Cause they're viewing you as their realtor. And that's that's the most important part because uh, I've I've also seen Shane Saunders. He's an agent um, in the Phoenix area. He's built out a similar model where you know he'll use a lot of showing assistance when he has to, but he makes it very clear that he is their realtor. Yeah, like these are just my assistants that'll go open you know that'll go open the door for you if you need to if I'm not available. But I'm your realtor. I will advise you on the strategy of making an offer if you like that house. You know. And if you like it, I'll first talk to you about that house and I'll attempt sometimes to talk you out of it because I want to make sure that you like this house for the right reasons, right? And that you're aware of comps and the neighborhood trends and all that good stuff, right? So they really view Shane as their realtor, not the showing assistant. Yeah, and and he'll even tell his showing assistants because obviously to go show a house, you have to be licensed as an agent. And he'll he'll, he'll tell them like, you know, don't be talking the whole time, don't be offering your insights necessarily on stuff just literally go open the door for them take notes if they tell you anything of what they did or didn't like but don't necessarily tour the house with them because i want them to be viewing me as their agent you know not you and like let's be honest that's how a lot of showings go anyways right like when you even when you're on a showing they're not necessarily looking to the realtor to to tell them ooh tell me about these kitchen countertops it's like well they can read the mls report they can see it's quartz or granite or laminate or whatever it is right like the the real value is added at that higher level at that strategic level of like oh okay if you like this house yeah if we end up liking it how can you exactly like what is the what does the process look like for what do we go in on offer you know are there are there other variables besides just the offer amount that that can help our 
you know, our offer stand out from other ones. All of those things is, is the real place that you're, that you're adding value. So Leah, you had, you'd mentioned you'd tried other, other marketing programs before the platform strategy. Did those not work or what, what, what led you to, to, you know, to feel either rationally or emotionally that, you know, platform seems to be better aligned with, with how I'm, with uh, how I'm running my business. The other marketing um, programs, very cold. We were almost like bots. So them picking me as their realtor versus somebody else, we were all the same. There was no value in who I was until they met me. But even getting to that point was hard. Um, because they're just clicking on so many different platforms and then getting so many feedbacks from those platform um, marketing companies that it um, was overwhelming to filter through the people who already had realtors and just their realtor wasn't responsive. So then they're dealing with me, but they weren't needing me to be their full-time realtor. So that was exhausting. Um, The other ones promised multiple listings every month. Um, or the opportunities, and those opportunities never came. Um, so a lot of promising and under-delivering. And with platform, the high-hanging fruit mentality that you are not promising us results today, but following your system, it's your, your business is moving this way. And you're collecting as many people who see you and feel you as a genuine person and they've never even met you and they feel the same way about the person who grew up with you and now has a family. So, yeah, you know, we were, uh, we, we were just talking before the, uh, the show started about like this, this, uh, analogy almost of, um, most, most agents think that lead generation is synonymous with marketing. Like they just think they're one and the same. Like, oh, I'm doing marketing. I'm doing lead generation. They think those two are just like identical terms for the same thing. And I just completely disagree with that. I think lead generation is a small part of marketing. And not like the end of yeah. yeah, like lead generation isn't marketing though. Like there's so much more. Like the the idea of marketing is so much more of a a deeper holistic endeavor than just lead generation, right? And pretty much every other company out there that claims to be a marketing company for realtors at the end of the day they're just a lead generation service like all they do is leads right and that's just i don't know maybe 10 or 20 percent of marketing the other 80 percent is building that brand and getting people to trust you and getting more referrals and changing the game so that people want to work with you specifically even to the point that if it might inconvenience them a little bit they still want to work with you, right? Where if they can't look at that house today and they have to wait another day or maybe wait a couple of days, they're still going to wait because they want to work with you, right? Oh, that's absolutely. the difference between- Yeah, and they say between, that. And then that's when I let them know, like we don't, in this market, we don't have time to wait. This is what I have set in place because you sure, sure. come first. Yeah, because obviously like you're right in this crazy seller's market, you can't wait 48 hours or 72 hours if they want to look at a house that's why you have to uh, connect them with a showing assistant because you probably should look at that house today, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, we were uh, we we were talking about this analogy of it's it's almost like teaching and standardized tests, right? Like if if as a teacher, 
if if you thought that teaching was just helping your students do well on standardized tests, you're probably going to be a pretty shitty teacher if that's all you care about. If you just if uh, if uh, you just reduce teaching just to worry about what are their standardized test scores, like you're just not going to be a very interesting teacher and your students probably aren't going to like you either. It's not going to be a very fulfilling job. And I think that's kind of um, an analogy to marketing and lead generation. Like if all you think that marketing is or all you think your business is, is generating leads, i.e. just, you know, buying leads from realtor.com or buying leads from Zillow, like you're going to treat the business and treat your clients very differently from an agent who thinks deeper than that. of Oh, I just need to buy a bunch of leads because it forces you to think about you know, all these uh, transactions as just transactions, not actually relationships with these people that then in the future probably lead to more referrals. And I know that this sounds kind of like, duh, the way I'm describing it, like, of course, right? But like, no, seriously, look at the way most agents do their business. They might say they value, you know, people over profits or I value, uh, uh, I value uh, relationships over transactions, but look at how they run their business. They really don't. Right. Yeah, they just view it as a bunch of a bunch of transactions. So thinking longer term about the marketing definitely changes the way that you do things even uh, on on a day to day basis. So in in the last year, you've really started a lot of this content marketing around this idea of, of high hanging fruit and the platform strategy of rather than chasing low hanging fruit, let's, you know, plant let's let's uh, plant some trees and get that high hanging fruit on the top branches that other agents are too are uh, too impatient right for. So, what have been some of your favorite content campaigns, retargeting campaigns that you've done with platform? Like what are some of your favorite videos, Leah, or favorite photo ads when you look back on the last year that seem to seem to have resonated with uh with your audience or just that you personally enjoyed and you think uh, have, have made an impact in your business? Like what are some of your favorite, favorite ads that you've run? Um, definitely the one where, um, Lavinia and I, um, were in the Academy, uh, it's a sporting and outdoor, um, store. And we, I want to say we did it back in February. Um, so it's the beginning of the spring when people are thinking about doing their, uh, putting their homes on the market. And we just dressed up in camo, and we played back off of each other that, you know, it's time to, you know, go hunting. And she's looking at me like, well, hunting season in Texas is in the fall. What am I talking about? And every time we went back and forth with each other, we were putting on more and more camo until at the end, we were fully ready to go. And it's like, no, we're ready for hunting season to go help our buyers find the houses that they want. House hunting. Yep. Yep. That just got so much engagement and it was we got so many um remarks of you're making finding a home fun again and that's what we wanted we wanted people to see it's not as hard as you think it is we're getting success we have strategies in place um you know two brains are better than one um you know call us it doesn't have to be difficult so that was definitely by far my favorite um i want to say the next one was driving in the snow there was an agent that was in her car she was in the snow and it was just a genuine post of you know i think she was going to a showing and 
the snow wasn't going to get in her way. Like, I'm going to meet you there. We're going to, we're going to figure this out. Everything is covered in snow. Um, but it's not a problem. We'll get through this. Um, but it just seems like every single ad, even no matter where it is around the country, somebody will put their different spin on it. So whether it's the pulling the luggage behind them, it's what's in the background that really talks about where their city is, where their town is, where their community is. And so um, it's, it's not cookie cutter. And that's, I think, the huge difference that we're all connected in some way. You know, if you've lived in a town long enough, I've lived in San Antonio 41 years, we all know each other. Um, there's over 6,000 or 16,000 realtors here in San Antonio. Jeez. We're all doing the same, you know, we all wanna, we're all the best. Um, we, yeah, we, well, you, you, you all have access to the same MLS, right? And I apologize, like my dogs are asleep right now. So they're snoring, come on new. Oh, what, what, what kind of dogs do you have? Uh, King Cavalier Spaniels. Okay. Okay. Oh, that's um, God in heaven. <laughs> I was like, I can't hear Tim. <laughs> um, that's hilarious. <laughs> uh, apparently I'm boring. Um, they, uh, so no, it's just, like I said, seeing everybody from around the country put their own spin on things then helps give us ideas, you know, of what to do here in town because um, we want that fresh content, like the world is so hard. Um, and of course, many of my friends are, are mothers. Um, and so it's so hard being a mom right now. Um, and I'm, as I'm sure it's very hard being a dad, but I can't relate to being a dad. And I just, you know, as much happiness we can put out into the world, I think that's our motto, um, LV and I. Yeah. And if, if people can get to know you and they feel like they're getting a sense of what you're all about and your values and what's important to you, you know, then they'll want to work with you. Right. I think that's why some like big, big companies that lean into their values do so well and they have higher margins because if people are choosing you for that reason, like that's where they're willing to inconvenience themselves because if they align with what's important to you, like they will actually inconvenience themselves. And in some consumer categories, it might even mean paying higher prices because they want to align with someone they believe in. And this, this goes across all beliefs, right? So if you think of like um, two, two big companies, uh, one, let's say, is uh, uh, Starbucks. And Starbucks is probably on the left or progressive side of like cultural politics versus Chick-fil-A is on the maybe right or conservative side of cultural politics. But people who love both of those brands and, you know, I'll go to Starbucks for coffee. I'll go to Chick-fil-A and get a sandwich. You know, I could care less what their what their politics are. I just want good coffee or good chicken. Right. But there are some people that will go out of their way to go to a Starbucks or will go out of their way to go to a Chick-fil-A versus a, a Popeye's or whatever, because they love what that brand is all about. Right. Like they align with whatever values, you know, that that brand um, is trying to uphold. And you can leverage that same effect in your marketing, even as a local realtor. And you don't have to get into your politics, but just talking about what's important to me, right? So if you're willing to say something like, hey, uh, you know, my teaching job is important to me. So even though, frankly, I mean, doing doing quick math, your area, I mean, your average commission checks probably what, eight, ten, twelve thousand dollars, something like that. 
let's just say 10. If you sold over 40 homes last year, that means your income as a realtor was over $400,000 GCI. And I know that's not necessarily take home because you have taxes and expenses and all that, all that fun stuff. But um, your GCI was over $400,000. That's probably very nearly 10 times what a lot of teachers are making. And yet you keep your teaching job because that's important to you, right? That's something that actually gives you a real sense of fulfillment and you're helping people. It's important to you. So talking about that in your ads helps people get to know the real you or talking about the fact that like, hey, my you know daughter had a volleyball tournament this weekend and I could have been out showing houses, but I decided to you know, spend those couple hours with her. That helps people get to know you because they're like, oh, cool. She's the type of person who prioritizes family or at least makes an attempt to balance family, you know, with your career. And not that it's right or wrong because some people choose to prioritize their career. Maybe they don't even have a family at all because they chose to prioritize their their career. I was actually just listening to a podcast um, on the, I think it was on the Tim Ferriss show with uh, Matt, Matt Mullenweg. He's the founder of WordPress. And he was saying he's kind of made a conscious decision that he doesn't want to have kids because he just thinks the biggest impact or legacy he can leave for the world are the companies and the products he builds. And he doesn't think he could lead the, lead those companies and do a good job and also be a good dad. So he's just conscious, consciously decided, I'm not going to have kids and then be a terrible father because I'm focused on my business. So he made that conscious decision of I'm going to just um, – you know, do an amazing job on my companies and products. And that'll kind of be the lasting legacy, hopefully that I get to live. And not that that's, you know, right or wrong, right? It's just his choice. But the point is he's willing to say that out loud. And so people know where he stands on those values. And so you just knowing where you stand on, Hey, like I, you know, I've made enough money long ago that I don't need this teaching job anymore, but I'm still a teacher because it makes me happy doing it. And, you know, I'm still going to, you know, carve out time in my schedule to go golfing, you know, with my with my teenagers to go to their volleyball games. Right. Like I'm not this agent who just works 90 hours a week, you know, and has time for no friends or family besides showing houses and negotiating deals. Right. Like that is really effective marketing. Marketing can be so much deeper than just talking about the listings you have. Right. And the number of bedrooms and bathrooms and whether or not they have hardwood floors or a pool or whatever, like people choose the realtor they work with based on those intangibles. Right. So the marketing should therefore be about those intangibles. And so you've you've been doing this for about a year now. What is the actual difference you've noticed in the last year in your business since you joined the platform? Because. Obviously, you were already a pretty successful agent before you joined Platform. So that's something I, that's that's something I want to make clear that like it's not like you sold two houses before Platform and then Platform helped you sell forty, right? Like you were already successful before Platform, but you were looking to add an extra layer to that business to where you would get more referrals and you know people would just know you for you versus just buying leads from Zillow, let's say. So how have things actually changed in the last year in terms of your sphere and your, your brand? Um, definitely see way more engagement and not just in like likes and clicks on, you know, it's like full on sentence engagement um, and private messaging engagement of um, 
you make it look easy. Why is everyone else having such a hard time? And then it's confessing to them, this deal that just sold, we actually had to go through all of these different hoops and jump through this and that. And, you know, there was so much more, but we don't choose to focus on all the hoops we had to jump through. So yeah, the engagement there has exploded um, because they see more of me. It's not just me just putting pictures of property up. It's me. Right. Now, you know, I, I want to jump back for a second and talk about talk about the time management of how you structured your business. So let me just ask you a, uh, a question. That's kind of your personal opinion. You know, there's not a maybe a right or wrong answer here, but I'm just genuinely curious how you would answer this question um, because of your unique experience of having a full time job and yet still selling 40 homes a year. Because, I mean, I bet the number of agents that sell 40 homes a year, I mean, I don't I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm guessing if you sell 40 or more homes a year, you're in the top 1% of agents around the country um, because the vast majority of agents actually sell 10 or fewer homes a year. The majority of agents sell fewer than 20 homes a year, and once you start selling 20 or 25 plus, you're probably in the top 10%. I, I would imagine if you're selling 40 homes a year plus, you are in the literal top 1% uh, st- uh, uh, statistically of agents across the country. So all that being said, you, you're you selling 40 plus homes a year with a full-time job. I bet there's not one in 100 agents doing that. There's probably less than one in 10,000 or one in a million I mean, seriously, there's, it's probably a one in a million thing of agents who are selling, like seriously, totally serious, of agents that are selling 40 plus homes a year that have a full-time job that has nothing to do with real estate, right? And yet you are one of those people. So when you hear agents say that, oh, I just don't have time or I don't know how I could possibly sell more houses or, you know, what what do you think is their excuse or what is going on in their mind, maybe mentally that is different from how you see the world or how you structure it? Like, why do some agents say, cause I mean, there's even agents and platform listening to this right now that let's say are selling 25 houses a year. And they're like, I don't have time to do my follow-up. I just don't have time to follow up with the leads coming in. I'm going to have to hire someone to do follow-up and they're only selling 20, 25 homes a year. You're selling 40 plus and have a freaking full-time job outside of real estate. Uh, why do you think so many people make excuses about not having time or like what, what are they not doing or what are they doing that's different from you? Um, I think the biggest thing is prioritizing what you feel is important. <clears throat> if you feel that it's important, you'll find a way to do it. Someone has a famous quote out there. Um, and I'm guilty of that as well. Could I be doing way more on the follow-up on my leads? Absolutely. But I'm very secure with the business I have right now. So if they're happy with what's coming in, then there's really nothing they're pushing them to continue to follow up with the leads that they have. Um, Um, maybe it's just time management or maybe it's outside life, you know, that's way too stressful and they they need, you know, so much more time to themselves. Um, I don't know. I guess I I don't really think when somebody says they can't, I don't focus on that because I'm going in a hundred different 
directions. Um, I mean, yeah, like you're obviously too busy living your own life yeah, to care know, about I what other miss, people. I mean, I don't, yeah. you know, when people yeah. are like, you know, I don't have time, they don't, you know, that's whatever their life events are during the day. They, they don't. Well, really, it's it's because they're not making time, right? And that's what all this always comes down to, to is Correct. you are, you you are making time. Yeah, you're like it's in your calendar. This is when I do these activities. You're not leaving your day to chance like, oh, I hope I have time, you know, to do this or that. Like you are putting it in your calendar. This hour I do this. This hour I do this, you know. And so things that need to get done uh, get done, right? So when – when uh, when you hired Platform, this is really interesting to me because this is you are definitely in the minority here. When you hired Platform, you weren't even necessarily looking to like scale your business in a massive way. It wasn't like, hey, I did forty homes next year. I want to sell seventy. Like the the goal isn't about doing a ton more as much as it is like enhancing the work life balance and getting more referrals and investing in your sphere so that you can continue to do what you're doing and get even more referrals because that's how you've built your business. You know, it's really about stabilizing your business and investing in the sphere so that they see more of your content all the time and you hopefully get more, uh, more referrals. And I like, I think this approach is very revealing in that again, it sounds crazy. Hey, she has a full-time job. She's selling 40 plus homes a year, but Think about what has to be true for that to for that to happen. One thing that has to be true if you're selling 40 plus homes a year, you said it was a, a 42 last year, and yet you have a full-time job, is that probably the vast majority of those deals are coming from your sphere. Because in a literal sense, you probably wouldn't have time to follow up with cold leads and go back and forth throughout all this process if they were all just Zillow leads or Realtor.com leads or something where they had no idea who you were, um, but they were just like requesting to go look at a house. Like that's probably how you built your business is investing so much in a sphere. So that can kind of be like a teaching moment for other agents. It's like, well, almost precisely because she's a teacher and because she invested so much in her sphere and people know who she is and whatnot, you know, that's why you leaned in to that sphere so much to build your business where a lot of agents, I think view their sphere as like one among many lead sources. If that makes sense. Like they're like, Oh, you know, yeah, it's, it's a small part of my business. And of course I have to pay attention to my sphere where you're like, my sphere is my business. And that's what should get like the majority of my mental energy and, uh, and commitment. Yeah. I'm definitely, probably a 60, 40, 60% of my business comes from my sphere. And then 40% is non-sphere. Um, the biggest advice I can give for non-sphere is um, your local Facebook community. So like the mom's group is really big in my area. And so being the face that they see helping other moms has helped get that word of mouth out that you definitely want to call Leah. She'll help you. Um, and so building who you are in your local community and platform. I think it's interesting helps. that like that's, that's exactly what it's designed to do. Yeah. Like that's what platform is all about is about creating marketing campaigns that frankly have nothing to do with real estate 
so that people can get to know you as a person. I, I, I think it's really interesting too, in case uh, people have been following along here, that almost every time I ask Leah a question um, in this podcast interview, her her question or her uh, answer is a variation of, uh, hey, like I don't want people to just think of me as a realtor, right? Like I'm so much more than that. Like I want to add value in other ways besides just telling you the number of bedrooms and bathrooms on a house, you know, like that is very telling because it means like she's always looking to lead with her personality and lead with her values and just who she is. And then people probably at some point will find out she's a real estate agent. But if, if their first impression of Lee is, wow, she's just genuinely a helpful person. Oh, she's a realtor. I didn't even know that. Like, well, guess what? Of course you're going to want to work with Leah. If you just feel like she's such a valuable, genuine, authentic person you know, and she just happens to be a real estate agent, right? That's way better marketing than, you know, just talking about how many homes you sold, which is impressive. You, you, you do sell a lot of homes, right? But, uh, every time I've asked you a question, your answer is always going back to, I'm just trying to help people and be valuable to people. And like, that's the old fashioned way to build a business and it still works. So long-term, I asked you right before the show, we were getting into, you know, what, what are some of your long-term goals? And you started talking and I had to cut you off. I was like, no, 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 no. Don't tell me all that. I want to get into that when we're actually recording. Right. So long-term, your goal isn't necessarily to, you know, scale your real estate business to sell 70 or 80 homes a year. You're actually building another business on the side. So tell me about that. Um, the current business is a transaction coordinating business to help agents leverage the time that they do have and um, helping share the strategies that I'm currently using with the time that I have, and hopefully it'll help build their business. Um, that started in January, and we've been doing a soft rollout of that, practicing on my transactions and getting all the bugs out. Um, we now have four agents that we're doing business for right now. Um, what I'd like to do is officially open up once I hit a certain production um, this year with my company, um, the company awards us with um, an award called the um, Icon Award, and it's like the top one percent of the brokerage uh, receives. Oh, for EXP. Yeah, because I'm, yep. I'm with EXP. Yep. And yep. Uh, this year, in about a month, I'm on track to receive my third award, which is um, right now. I think there's only a handful of people in our entire city that have three so um and probably none of them probably none <laughs> no. of them have a full-time job jobs, no no um but okay yeah let let me ask you one one indirect question off of that and i don't mean to change the topic because i do want to keep talking about this uh transaction coordinating business because this is really fascinating to me how you're like pivoting and starting a different business and yet it's in the same industry because you just realize there's an opportunity there. But I want to ask this quick side question before I forget. If you didn't have a full-time job, how many homes do you think you would sell a year? If all of a sudden you got all those hours back? Oh gosh, I don't know. I honestly think the same number of homes because I haven't had to turn any families away and I haven't had to turn down any business 
because of teaching. So that is a fascinating answer. So you really don't view your teaching job as an obstacle to your real estate business. That is not what I was expecting you to say. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yes. Could I spend eight more hours following up on my platform leads? Absolutely. So is there room for improvement? A hundred percent. But that's true of everyone. That's true of most people who don't have full-time jobs. But no, I I haven't had to turn or I haven't had to refer out business because I was too busy. And what I've been thankful for that as soon as one home closes, then another one starts. Like I've had a very good sinking pattern of the flow of real estate that yes, you always, you um, always have that pipeline. March was the biggest month for me because I had more buyers, which meant my one person was having to juggle many people who needed to see homes inside San Antonio and then outside San Antonio on not only the East side of San Antonio, but the West side. Um, That was hard. And then going on vacation, um, trying to navigate that. But um, right and now, that was probably that was probably during your spring break. I imagine that you went on vacation in March. Yes, and okay. so, um, but right now I have five homes that are going on the market in the month of April. So it's nice being the listing agent. So it's just me, one home, preparing it, and then waiting <laughs> for the families to come and put in offers. Sure. So you actually don't think it affects your business at all. That's, that's crazy. That, that's something to think about, you know, that like, I'm not even sure what my immediate reaction to that is. I'd have to think about that for a while. Cause that's kind of deep. Like I have a full-time job and I honestly don't think it even affects the production I would do because I always find a way to serve the buyers or the seller leads anyways. And so I don't think I would do more business. That's a that's just a really interesting answer. I would not have thought that you would have said that. So, okay, let's go back to your transaction coordinating because I think this is equally fascinating. Uh, you're starting a side business because you have so much free time. You know, you're a full time teacher. You're selling forty homes a year. Of course, naturally, you're also going to start a side business. But so, I but that's so, not the first side business I have. So when I started real estate in 2016, the plot thickens. <laughs> Um, I also started a mobile tutoring company with that. I was one of the tutors. Uh, I employed certified teachers to go to families. Are you just, are you just making shit up at this point? Like how many, how many businesses, how many, what do you have going on? You have like three businesses you own. You're a full-time teacher. Like, will the IRS hear this podcast? This this is incredible. Okay, I'm just really interested. So you started a mobile tutoring company. Okay. And it started because my daughter didn't want to listen to anything I had to say when it came to helping her with her reading and math. And I had a friend come over and a friend explained the math problem to her. And she was like, oh, I get it. And I not even three minutes ago, I said the exact same thing. But the same, I mean, I should have known because... As a teacher, my kids listen to everything I say, and then they go home, and their parents are like, they're not listening to me. So it was very humbling. Oh, it's, it's the same thing with platform, too, where I it happens all the time where, like, one of our account managers, for example, will call me and be like, hey, I'm working with such and such client, and I just really need to get them to do this, or they're scared to do this video, or... Um, 
I really need to get them to do this because I know this particular ad will work well in their market. Or sometimes it's like I need to get them to increase their budget because their ads are working so well, but they're only spending $600 a month on ads. And if, if I could get them to spend 1000 their business would blow up, but they're just too scared. And they've told them all the reasons they should increase their budget, but then I call them. And just because I have a different maybe level of authority with that client because they think Tim is the big fancy, you know, founder, CEO. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, Tim called me. Right. I will tell them the exact same things. Our account manager has probably been telling them for the last several months. And then and then they do it and they take my advice. And it's like I didn't tell them anything different. It's just that they view the advice or the perspective different coming from me. So, yes, I completely understand how that dynamic works sometimes. So you started a mobile tutoring company because you had this experience with your daughter. Yes. So then I turned to my friend and I said, Hey, how would you like to make? And then I gave her an amount. And then I said, Hmm, I wonder if there were other moms that would love somebody to come to the house, teach their kid because their kid's not listening to them. And so reached out to a couple of other certified teachers who were of course looking for ways to make extra money. And then that summer, um, Amplified Minds of Texas LLC started, and it's it helps. And so, are you are you are you focusing on like the homeschool market or just just the, any the kids who need help with okay. any kind of it would mostly uh, middle uh, elementary kids focusing on okay. pre reading um, for little ones comprehension for the kids in the middle grades. Um, where the parents are like, we're pulling our hair out. They're not listening to us. Um, so that pretty much funneled money into my real estate career my first year because we needed sign money. I needed picture money, you know, all the upfront cost marketing money, you know, to market the homes that I was selling. So pretty much everything that I made off of the tutoring business went directly into real estate to help get that going. Um, so I was tutoring along with the other teachers. And then as real estate picked up and I pulled myself away. So right now, um, Monday through Friday, I have my tutors that'll send me a text message and tell me who they tutored and for how long. And then I send the parents an invoice through Square and then I pay the tutors. And then, so I'm just kind of the the middleman, just sending invoices, paying tutors, and then at the end of the year, paying the IRS. (laughs) But what's nice- now this so business you, helps funnel money into um, money for my schools. So I help fund different programs at my particular school and my wife's school and then friends of mine um, that are principals around the city. I give money to teachers um, in form of gift cards. I'll buy breakfast for their staff. Um, I buy gift cards for their kids so they can do raffles. Um, so that's where that money goes now. So how, how big is, is uh, that business now? I mean, what's the, what's the annual revenue of that business? And I know that revenue is not the same term. It's, oh, the same thing as it's profit, 15,000 but... a year. Okay. So, I mean, it's, it's healthy, but it's not um, anything, you know, that I could quit my job over. <laughs> yeah. Right. But it's still, I mean, like a side gig that makes a couple thousand dollars a month mm-hmm. that, you know, that you're also helping teachers make more money too. Correct. And that was my biggest thing was it's a benefit for all. 
It's not just me making that extra income, but my friends, and it's on their time as well. They get to pick their schedule. They partner with the families. That's cool. Have you ever written retargeting ads about that? No. You, okay. Um, we'll do some live consulting on this, on this podcast. You should, you should write this down if you have a pen and paper yes, in front of you. Yes. <laughs> you, um, you should write an ad that starts with, um, starts with the sentence. Many people know I'm a real estate agent, but what they might not know is that I also started a tutoring business that matches up, you know, local school teachers with kids who need some extra help in reading, et cetera. And then, and I'm still a full-time teacher on top of, on top of all that, you know? And, and, uh, by the way, Leah, I, I can help you with the copy on this later. Like we don't need to spend half, like we, uh, we, we, I don't need to spend half an hour here on the podcast episode writing the specifics, but like, that's going to be a killer ad because I'm already thinking like the next sentence is something to like, now you might think that, you know, with me starting multiple companies and being a full-time teacher that I'm probably just a very part-time agent and maybe I only sell a couple houses a year. The truth is I actually sold 40, over 40 homes last year and I'm one of the, I'm in the top 1% of real estate agents nationwide. I mean, that ad is just so fascinating. It'll help people get to know you that, yeah, you're like a serial entrepreneur, problem solver, whenever you see an opportunity, you find a way, you know, to meet that opportunity and to, uh, to help people, you know, I mean, cause that's, that's really all that being an entrepreneur is, is you find a need that other people have or a challenge they have, and you figure out a way to solve that, to solve that problem and hopefully solve it in a way that makes money, not loses money. Right. That's really what an entrepreneur, uh, is. So what is, okay, what is the long-term goal? Because we took a huge side detour here because I had no idea you had other companies you've started. What is the what is the long-term goal with the transaction coordinating company? I mean, is there like a, a, a number of clients or like a revenue number that you want to hit? Is that kind of your like retirement plan of I want to build this business so that I yes. don't have to sell as many homes yes. myself anymore? Or I, what's, what's the thought process there? Um, I definitely don't want to be running around till eight, nine o'clock at night showing houses in my sixties or my fifties or at 42. <laughs> um, if I don't have to, if I want to, then I get to choose right, right. instead of it being a, well, I've put myself in this financial situation. I have to, you know, keep up this um, income stream. Um, the work smarter, um, not, you know, harder mentality. Um, and I think at the heart of everything I do is I'm a teacher. And so if I can teach other agents to be successful, there's something about that, that it just, it just comes naturally to you that you're a teacher. So in any situation, you're like, how can I teach people how to do this? I can teach my transaction coordinator and then I can have them teach other people. And then I can build a business off of that. And that, that makes perfect sense. And that's really, truly the, our EXP model is it's not me just trying to get rich as fast as I can. Is what can we all do as agents to help each other out? Because the more successful you become and the company becomes. And so if we all had that mentality, which you can see with our company growing as much as it has, um, we're, we're doing that for each other. So yeah, and if you, I, I mean, teach. this, 
that that is the essence of free enterprise and free markets and entrepreneurship is that if you focus on solving problems and you actually don't worry about the money, if you just focus on solving problems, that's the cool part about capitalism is that you'll probably end up making a lot of money if you just focus on solving other people's problems, actually more so than people who are only trying to make a quick buck and they don't really care about their customers. They might have some short-term profits, but over the long term, they'll get their asses kicked by people who actually care about solving their customers' problems and actually care about uh, actually care about their customers. So that's incredible. Okay, wow. Like this has been a, such a super cool podcast episode. I we're we've gone over here. We're at like an hour hour and ten minutes now at this point. Like I did not know that you've started these other these other companies. Uh, that's that's super cool. So where do you see your life at? Let's say. 10 years from now like how would you define success 10 years from now like where do you where would you like things to be in terms of your work-life balance what you're spending your time doing how are the businesses going um i definitely have set myself up to um when we hit that production mark for our company they ask us to give back to our real estate community in several ways so we can teach um, at our online university, we can um, become a mentor. So that's my path that I chose. So I'm sure. a certified mentor with EXP. And so as many baby agents I can help, then they will teach that next generation of agents and then I'll just keep multiplying. Um, a good friend of mine, um, Two years ago, we started a Facebook group. Um, Anissa and I saw a real big need in our community to share our struggles and our triumphs with each other because we saw just how closed real estate can be within realtors that nobody wants to share. Nobody wants to talk about how you get leads. Nobody wants to um, um you know, say what you're doing for fear of they may steal all your business away. Um, so we've taken a different approach to you can have all my knowledge, you can have all of my secrets. Um, there's plenty of business out there for all of us. And in turn, and isn't, isn't, isn't that the truth too? Yes. Like there is so much business out there. there even is. if you're, even if you're in a small town, I've had this conversation with lots of agents, like, cause you're in, San Antonio, which is a major metro area. I mean, it's not it's not L.A. or Atlanta, but it's still a big city. But this is this is even true in small towns. Like there are even in a small town, there's still typically a hundred transactions happening every month during the spring summer, even in tiny tiny towns. And it's like you know, if you if you even did five transactions a month, you had five percent market share you'd be absolutely printing money as an agent in terms of the commission that would create. So have an abundance mindset. You know, you don't have to think of yourself as being in competition with all the agents in your market because there's so many deals out there. Just just think of the competition in terms of I want to win all the business that's in my sphere of influence. If that's how you thought about your marketing, it would change your life. Like don't think about converting strangers. Just think if all I did was convert all of the leads, and I'm saying that with uh, air quotes right now. I know people can't see me because it's a podcast, but if all you did was convert all the leads that are already in your sphere of influence versus losing them to other agents, 
you would make more money than you even know what to do with. So don't even focus on new leads. It's just getting all the referrals that you can from the people who already know you. So that's that's awesome. So in 10 years, to answer your question, is I see that transaction coordinating company turning into a coaching um, section. You know, there, there'll be a part of that where I will be coaching other agents on how to be the best and most productive self so that they can be that for our community. That's cool. And do you, do you think you're going to keep teaching like, like 10 years from now, or is that something you're going to give up in the next year or two or 20 years? Or how does that factor into the future? I say, yes. Um, I enjoy going to work and there are very, very few of us that can say that right now. I have phenomenal coworkers that we share the same ideals about how to help children who are struggling, not only um, academically, but personally. Um, Middle school is a favorite time of year that I didn't know, you know, that would become, because I came from the elementary school side. Um, These students are not babies, but they're not ready to be fun. They're, like I said, they're semi-functional humans. Um, They have a lot to learn. And I think I also get a kick out of they're listening to me when they're not listening to their parents. So um, it's nice to know that there's, there's people out there that will listen to me and not my own children. Um, So not anybody can say that every day they can go someplace and laugh and feel inspired and feel like they're making a difference. Um, so the gentleman who brought me into real estate, his name is Vince Arnold. Um, we worked side by side because our class, we had two classrooms because we had so many children with the um, special needs. Um, we worked together for four years and he was like the big brother I never knew that I needed. Um, so not only in the classroom, but then after school with real estate and, um, two and a half years into, um, my real estate career. So in 2018, he passed away at 43, about a month before his 43rd birthday. And that was life changing for me. Um, I've been very blessed to not have many people in my life passed away. My grandmother um, was 108 when she passed away this past January. Wow, good for her. Um, My great grandmother was 99. Other grandparents were also in their 90s. Um, So in my mind, in my, my little world, you don't die at 43. You know, that happens someplace else. And that changed my perspective on if something was to happen to me today, do my children know that I love them? Does my wife know that I would do anything for her? Do my students know that I believe in every cell of my body that they are capable of everything? Do my friends know that they can call me 24 hours a day and I will be there for them? So that pretty much pivoted my life and changed, I think, how I 
helped with real estate that I, it became personal for me that yes, I'm not going to be making their mortgage. I'm not going to be raising their kids in this house, but I'm, I'm, I'm on their time frame. We're not going to just pick a house because it's an easy house to get under contract. Um, we're going to truly do what's right by them. Wow. So that event kind of just woke you up to where you live much more consciously and intentionally day to day where it's not like, well, another week or another month, or I'm not just basically, you're not just going through the motions and maybe not that you were just going through the motions before. Cause I'm sure you were already quite intentional about how you were living your life before, but something happens like that. And it really, really jolts you. And it forces you to realize that like, Hey, none of us are promised any, any extra day. Right. I mean, uh, I mean, whether it's at 43 years old or 63 years old, I think I've always had, had an acute sense of that, um, of that timeline with loved ones, because my dad actually had a previous marriage before, uh, he was, he was married to my mom. And so I have a half brother, um, older half brother, older half sister that are way older than me because I, my dad had me when he was, um, uh, uh 50 years old. And so my dad was always basically like 20 years older than all of my friends' dads growing up. And so what that means is now my dad's 80 years old. And most of my friends' dads are like, you know, in their upper 50s, low 60s. And my dad's 80 years old. So I'm like acutely aware of the math that most American men don't live to be 85. And so I'm in like statistically the last couple of years with my, uh, with my dad. And it just... It's, it's crazy thinking about that because, you know, usually um, at, you know, in certain age ranges, you just don't think about how short life is. And you just think, oh, there's always going to be more years. There will always be more weekends or always more whatever days, weeks that I can do what I want to do. And then when you actually consciously think about it even a little bit, it's like, no, there's not. You know, even even with this concept, um, this concept of retirement, right, uh, the whole the whole uh the whole idea of like postponing all the happiness in your life for the final 20 years let's say because you retire at 60 or 65 or whatever is so insane to me that that became the norm where people will save all the money they can and put it into their 401ks or pensions or whatever right hoping that they can retire at age you know 65 and then live 15 or 20 more years at some golf club in florida you know, where they get to finally enjoy their life. And I think the whole premise of that is just fundamentally flawed because it's like life is happening in the here and now. Like you shouldn't postpone enjoying your life and feeling, I guess, feeling alive, right? For the final 15 years of your life, not just because that's a bad trade mathematically, like, oh yeah, I'll give up 65 years of my happiness so I can be happy in the final 15, right? That math doesn't make sense because <laughs> that means the vast majority of your life is spent um, in theory doing, yeah, like doing something you don't maybe want to be doing so that in theory you can enjoy the final 15 years. But also there's a huge fundamental flaw in that thinking of that that assumes that you're going to live to be 85 or 90 or whatever. And a ton of people die in car accidents when they're 50 or they get cancer in their 40s or whatever, right? And so I would hate to 
postpone all the happiness and the the trips you could take or the vacations or even if it's not expensive stuff like trips and vacations, but like a simple thing like going out and grabbing coffee with your mom or dad or going out and grabbing coffee with a friend and spending whatever, $10, $15, because let's say that you know, get a latte and you get a cinnamon roll, like all the financial planners are like, hey, if you save that $10 you know, per day and it compounds over time with the magic of compound interest, and we've all seen the charts, right? Where if you save $10 a day, that'll end up being a your millionaire or whatever you know it is long-term, I don't care. Cause it's like, honestly, I'd rather have the latte <laughs> if, if the, if the price of being a multimillionaire in retirement is that in the here and now I can't go enjoy a glass of wine with friends or go out for beer and pizza with my buddies or have a, you know, go out for coffee with my mom or my grandma or whatever, because I'm saving that money for retirement. It's like, well, then I don't want to be a multimillionaire in retirement because it doesn't sound like it's worth it. <laughs> Honestly, no, like that's, that's a bad, that's a bad trade. Yes, Vince, um, like I said, he did real estate only to provide that extra money for vacations and, of course, supplement teaching income. And I wasn't raised that way. We went to the beach one time during the summertime, and that was our one family trip. That's And that's how we were raising our kids. We had one family trip. That's what we did. And so I would tease him and be like, God, you're always going on vacations. You're always doing this. And then the one day when he passed away, that's when it clicked. He had so many memories that his children now have because he didn't wait. He didn't wait until retirement to enjoy life. Yep, absolutely. So um, I'm going to give you a book recommendation right now, as well as anyone who happens to be listening to this podcast later. This book has really changed how I've thought about my life and uh, life and career and business. And I've, I've since bought a bunch of copies for friends and family. Actually, it's called die with zero. And I believe the author is Bill Perkins. I think that's the author. Let me, let me, uh, uh Google that right now, just to make sure I'm not giving out, f uh, uh, giving out false information on, a on a podcast here. I believe it's Bill, per uh, Bill Perkins die with zero. Yep. Yep. That's right. So it's, it's by Bill Perkins. And basically the premise of the book is kind of in the title is that you should think about your life in terms of dying with zero. So don't build up a huge lump sum of wealth, hoping to pass it on and just like constantly delay and then die with money. Like he, the author views it as a failure. If you die with a million dollars or a couple million dollars or whatever, that's kind of a waste because it means that you could have spent so much more time and memories in your life not working or with your friends and family that you died with a million dollars of of like lost experiences. And then you might think that's like, well, yeah, but then you can leave that money to your kids, right? So it's not like you, you know, like I want to leave something to my kids. In the book, he answers that talking about, well, your kids don't really like if you if you assume that most people have children at or around the age of 30, that's like the statistical average. So Typically, I know there's all sorts of exceptions because I'm one of those exceptions. My dad had me when he was 50, but statistically, most people, when they when they pass away, assuming it's the median American age, you know, their kids are probably going to be around 60 years old or so, 65 years old, something like that. Getting a lump sum inheritance from your parents 
doesn't really help you when you're 60, 65 years old because you've already incurred most of the major life expenses. It would have been way more useful to have that sooner. So even in the book, he talks about like structure your life in such a way where if you want to give your kids an inheritance, if that's something that's important to you, and maybe it's not, right? But if that's a goal you've always had is to maybe leave some money behind for your kids, give it to them when they're 30. That's the actual statistical age when it does them the most benefit because that's the time when they're probably like a first-time homebuyer, for example, and they're, they need that money for a down payment. And it means that they'll be able to raise their kids, which is your your grandkids, hypothetically, in a nicer house, in a nicer neighborhood, whatever, because you gave them their full inheritance at age 30 versus waiting for you to die and then they're 60 and they don't really need it and you don't get to see them enjoy it either, right? So there's he, he actually comes from uh, an insurance and uh, insurance commodities trading background. So he's like a Wall Street um, hedge fund guy. So he's really, really smart and he's made tons of money and there's lots of other, lots of other interesting life life strategies in the book, I guess. But yeah, that's 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 one of my favorite business books that kind of like crosses the chasm of it's 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 almost not even a business book as much as a life life yeah, just life strategy book because it just attacks this idea that you should postpone all the happiness in your life for the final 10 20 years, you know, because that means you're not enjoying things now. Like you should always structure your life in such a way that if you did get hit by a bus tomorrow, right, that you go out with no regrets that you were having fun and that you didn't have all this postponement of memories with, you know, friends and family and, uh, and loved ones. So yeah, well this, wow, this, uh, this podcast conversation took a turn that we weren't really talking about. weren't really talking about Facebook ads anymore, but I think this was super, super valuable. Um, I hope this, uh, hope this episode has been inspiring to everyone listening because again, like I'm, I'm still kind of in awe Leah of, not just of the business you've created, but the life you've created that you're running this side business with tutoring and you're literally just using that to basically give back to teachers in your area, whether it's gift cards or sponsoring breakfasts and things like that, because that's something you're passionate about, right? You're not doing it out of a sense of obligation. You're doing it because it actually makes you happy being able to do that. Yes. You, you're, you're starting a transaction coordinating company because you see that that's an issue and that's a problem you can help you know, that you can help solve for people and hopefully make some money doing it. You've got a full-time job as a, as a teacher, and then you're selling over 40 homes a year on top of that. And you still have time to have a podcast (laughs) conversation with me, right? We're actually recording this on a Sunday afternoon because I mentioned at first I was like, Hey, maybe, you know, Saturday you'd be free, but you were, you know, at your daughter's volleyball on Saturday. So it's, it's, it's not as if you're doing all this and you're just completely absent, you know, from your family's life or something like you're still a very, very involved, um, spouse and parent. So that's, that's just really inspiring. I think to anyone listening to this, like this is what is possible with your life, not just your business, but with your life, if you're actually intentional about how you live it. So thank you, Leah, for your time today. And guys, we'll see you on the next episode of the platform marketing show. Thank you.